Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Fright School, one man's willing descent into the dark abyss that lives at the heart of the American horror film. Over the next few weeks, I, Joshua Napier, am going to play horror Sherpa to Joe Farron's journey to the mountains of madness. Are you ready? Class is in session. Joe. Hello, Joshua. Welcome back to Fright School. Another exciting episode. Exciting episode of Fright School. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Your dreams were your <laughs> ticket out. <laughs> Gabe Kaplan, right? <laughs> I don't know. Fuck if I know. I, don't know. <laughs> I never watched that show. John Travolta is a yes. sweat hog. John Travolta. Up your nose with a rubber hose, Mr. Cotter. Wow. I know. Sorry. That was something. What can I say? I love Nick at Night. Clearly. Uh, all right. Yay, we're back. Uh, today we are discussing the awesomeness that is the silence of silence of the lambs. Silence. Silence <laughs> of the lambs. Can't talk. Uh, but first, a few fun things. Um, we're meditating. Tales from the Crypt, the new TV series. They released God. a trailer. Yes. Uh, I'm excited. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. I actually, um, whenever that comes out, we're just going to do like a special tribute episode to the Tales from the Crypt. So that means you're probably going to have to come over and we're going to like binge watch a whole bunch of Tales Oh, God. <laughs> I'll just show you the, my favorites. Um, I have a few one seasons. Of, there's one called Bordello of Blood, right? <gasps> well, that's one of the films. Okay. Which is actually great, too. So we'll watch. We should do a day where we'll watch Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. I don't think we'll bother with Ritual because it was sort of, it wasn't really meant to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. They just kind of attack the Crypt Keeper on and kind of forced it. Uh, so we'll probably do those two movies and then I'll show you like a, a, a hand selection of episodes that, that I really like. You've seen All Through the House for the Christmas special. Yes. Maybe you did see some of it. I don't know. Okay. Um, anyways, where the, the killer Santa Claus. Like, we did talk about that. Okay. Yes. Well, anyway, so we'll have to watch some of that. So I'm kind of excited. Uh, you know, I'm a little bummed because I don't, see how you can do Tales from the Crypt without like the HBO version of the Crypt Keeper. And so, and they're saying that um, HBO owns the rights, so they're not going to be able to use him, which just seems very depressing. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's not like they're going to go back and erase the seven seasons that exist. So if I don't like it, I'll just go back and rewatch those and yeah. I, I'll say, fuck you. And I Shumla, uh, take dong. your fucking Tales from the Crypt shit and shove it. Yeah. Do you uh, think every episode will have a twist ending? We'll see. I hope. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, you know, that's the thing. That's why it kind of works well with, like, the HBO series. It's, like, it's very high camp. Yes. You know, and, and it is supposed to be, like, you know, the sort of all's well that ends well, twisty, you know, kind of eye for an eye shit, you know, in the end. Like, everybody gets what's coming to them. Yeah. You know, so it's very karmic that way. Uh, so I did, I wanted to just mention that cause I was, uh, I saw the trailer going around. Everybody's getting real excited about it. And so I'm looking, I'm looking forward. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to is uh, a few years ago, uh, 2000, let's see, let's have a look, see here. When was this? Uh, oh, see again, I should be more prepared to, oh, 2012. Okay. So about five years ago, uh, John, uh, Durf back Durf. Uh, also known just as Durf. He does um, like political commentary. I think, uh, what is it, uh, Tomorrowland or something? It's like a cartoon. Okay, okay. You see it in like the City Beat or, or other places. Uh-huh. Um, no, not Tomorrowland. It's called something else. Mo- this Modern World. 
don't, don't send us letters. We'll find it after this episode. Yeah, it sucks. I should know. I was trying to look for, like, why don't they have it here? Why don't they have it listed in, like, you know, what dirt, back dirt? Oh, the city. There you go. It's called the city. <laughs> Anyways, whatever. Uh, he wrote a book because he went to school with the infamous Jeffrey Dahmer. They were high school buddies. He actually hung out with them. Uh, they, you know, were pretty close to him, uh, but obviously not too close. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he wrote this really but cool, I'm... right? <laughs> he wrote this, uh, really cool, really great, actually a really, really great, um, graphic novel called my friend Dahmer. And it's all about like how history or how not history, how like everybody failed Jeff, in his life. Like his parents failed him. His friends failed him. Teachers failed him. Uh, he was like a raging alcoholic at like 16, 17 years old and nobody noticed. Um, he said and did a lot of really strange things and nobody like took the time to be like, you know, Hey dude, what the hell's going on with you? Uh, (laughs) um, it's, you know, it, and I don't think it's meant to, obviously, you know, to, like, excuse anything that, that came after. Um, it just looks to, I think, explain, you know, when people go, how can this happen? And he was such a quiet, like, nice person. You know, how 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 does how is it end up here? This book kind of seeks to explain it a little, you know, to say, yeah, we, we were there and we knew something was wrong and we didn't warn anybody either. You know, we didn't say anything. Um, and his life was just really messed up and... You know, he's just a real, real messed up guy. <laughs> you know, even, to, I mean, I, I guess he had, you know, talked about some of his strange, like, urges and, you know, necrophilic tendencies and nobody, you know, it still, like, just got ignored. You know, it got sort of passed over. Uh, so uh, they're going to, they've adapted it. It's going to be a movie. They're working on it right now with uh, Disney star Ross Lynch. He's going to play uh, Jeffrey. Um, I don't know... Uh, so far, they, they've just released a photo. You can see here. Um, mm. Yeah. And you all uh, you all can go on and look. Disney star plays as Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, iHorror.com. Or, you know, just do a Google search. But they have a pretty good, like, you know, compare contrast. Oh, wow. That's, you know? that's really yeah, right on. Yeah. So that's him in, uh, him in high school. Uh, the real Jeffrey. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the uh, but you know, I recommend going out and reading the graphic novel if you can because it's pretty freaking cool. Uh, and you know, there aren't many uh, stories like it in the world, you know, when you think about you know how many serial killers that have kind of risen to like national prominence like that. Although, you know, we haven't really had anything like that in a while when you think about it. When was the last sort of like iconic uh, Green River Killer? What year was that? Um, I don't know. Because Jeffrey was in the 90s. BTK? Yeah, but all of them are still are, are oh, older, okay. you know? So I'm just trying to think the last time we were really, like, as a nation, captivated by, like, a serial killer story. Facebook you know? killer? Yeah. Craigslist killer. Okay. Yeah, I guess. But even his name, like, isn't right off the top of my head. Like, Dahmer, yeah. Manson. Well, not even Manson. I wouldn't even, but, like, you know... Ted Bundy, you know, the, you know, John Wayne Gacy. Like, I mean, these are iconic like names. I don't think, I actually don't know if we'll ever get that again. Maybe not. uh, Because of how, you know, we're living in the age of social media where everything is just, you know, we live, uh, we live by the news cycle. It's true. We're constantly being sort of inundated and sort of, uh, you know, if some guy's keeping a bunch of heads in his refrigerator, I guess it's not that big of a surprise anymore. <laughs> yeah. And maybe <laughs> we're not as horrified by it, maybe. And maybe we're and maybe we're at a point where like the authorities are just not gonna advertise or make it known that maybe. all of this is going on. So to prevent like copycats or, you know, sick people to <laughs> like uh, like us to, you know, do know. it. But I mean, I, again, I don't know. I don't I if, you very well could be, you know, and even you, listener, could be high school classmates with the next Jeffrey Dahmer. You could be. Be on the lookout. Or you could be um, the next Jeffrey Dahmer. Know, reach out. <laughs> uh, um, anyways, any other uh, news for you? Uh, we did just, uh, we put out um, another field trip episode for Cure for Wellness and Get Out. So if you've seen those movies and care to hear our rambling opinions. Yes. <laughs> If you uh, liked 
a cure for wellness, you will skip the first 15 minutes of, right. the, of, uh, of the episode. Um, and if you didn't like uh, Get Out, you're an idiot. Um, you, well, no, you're entitled to your opinion, but I don't agree with you. So there you go. You're not, <laughs> not necessarily an idiot. Although, you know, maybe. Um, yeah, so listen to those episodes. Uh, we love these field trips. Um, I have never done a, a double feature at a movie theater like that uh, yeah, it was before, fun. so that was that was a lot of fun. Doing a little back to back to back. If uh, you ever want, to, if you want to listen to Joshua recount the true horror of being in a theater with more than ten people yes. um, during an opening weekend of a movie, yeah. then you definitely need to listen to that Go episode. All right, so then, oh, well, I guess one more thing, totally off subject, but I'm very excited. It is Sunday, March 5th, while we're recording this, and tonight is the premiere of Feud, Bet, Feud. Uh, Betty, da- Bet- Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. It's all about their feud while making the awesome horror film, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, our next recording session, because we'll talk a little bit about that. Maybe we'll go a little, maybe we'll do go a little off script, and we'll actually just do an episode dedicated to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and kind of throw that out there. We'll see. No promises. I know. No promises. But if you want us to do it, uh, tweet at us. Right. Uh, <laughs> comment. Uh, <at> <laughs> Let us do that. Tell us. Um, yes. But uh, I'm excited about that, too. I'm here. Um, I'm, go- I'm here way before anyone else because um, I've not, obviously, I mean, this is no surprise to anybody that I have not seen Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. Um, I did a uh, fun story about that. I did work it with another um uh, my other boss, who was this very lovely uh, gay homosexual, and he said um, he was singing um, a song from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And I'm like, what are you singing? And he said, it's from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. You've never seen it? Oh, give me your card. And then he goes to YouTube, shows me the song. And I'm like, this is horrifying. So I'm very excited. I'll have now have a context. I'm also here early before because we're doing a, a, one of Joshua's famous viewing parties. Right. Um, <laughs> In addition to screening Whatever Happened to Baby Jane before uh, Feud uh, goes on, I'm going to watch Mommy Dearest, which I've also never seen. It's going to be fun. Yes. Very exciting. exciting. All right. Then, without further ado, we will jump into Silence of the Lambs. so today's episode, uh, I'm, I'm excited about it because I actually have a lot of stuff written on uh, Silence of the Lambs. I wrote a, a paper uh, called He Covets, That Is His Nature, a study of sexual politics in the Silence of the Lambs. I got an A+. Uh, so I have it highlighted and marked up here with some, with some thoughts. Uh, so that we'll, horn you're tooting sounds great, right, Joshua. I know, right? <laughs> so this could actually be a really good episode, or it could be, again, drowned in, like, theory that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> you decide. But it could, uh, you know, <laughs> could be a little better because there's actually something written. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Silence of the Lambs met with much critical acclaim upon its initial release in February of 1991, uh, finding eventually uh, to fi- finding itself nominated for and winning five Academy Awards. Including Best Picture. A feat very few films have the honor of claiming, um, and that's virtually unheard of in the genre of horror, especially, you know, in, you know, 91. Uh, so it's a... Uh, you know, great film, great direction, great acting from Jodie Foster and uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Uh, but it uh, has a um, an enduring legacy of criticism from the LGBTQ uh, and feminist communities. So let's uh, let's dive in. We're diving. What do you think? Um, Silence of the Lambs. I've always it's always kind of been around in my childhood mm-hmm. in the periphery. Um, my mother is a retired forensic scientist and actually has been to Quantico. How cool. So, um, and she has, uh, in early in her career, she did have something published uh, in the Journal of Forensic Medicine. Um, I think that's what it's called, right? The mm-hmm. Journal of Forensic Medicine. Yeah, so, so, Silence of the Lambs, um, a lot of Patricia Cornwell books. That, <laughs> um, yeah, we always had Patricia Cornwell books. It was like, what do we get mom for Christmas? Oh, there's a new Patricia Cornwell book. Um, uh, but Silence of the Lambs, for sure, we've definitely experienced because, you know, it's it's this FBI recruit and 
um, profiling and all of that stuff. So it's kind of been in the background. Clarice Starling. Yes. Clarice Starling. Um, fly, fly, little Starling. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's always been kind of been there in the background, but I've never um, watched it until Joshua was like, I have to write a paper on this. Why don't you come over and watch it with me so I can, yes. so I can horrify you further? Um, and I'm like, sure, why not? And um, it was very, very good. I, I really liked it as a film, uh, for sure. Um, it is definitely horrifying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anything, I love any, any movie where there's like the FBI, the young FBI profiler goes out on her own, like, or, uh, I mean, again, her own, because I think there's a lot of films about like a her FBI profiler or <laughs> some kind of rookie novice. Yeah. Um, Bone Collector, mm-hmm. um, Untraceable, all of like those kinds of films. But this film is excellent. And I, it is definitely worth every, uh, um, definitely deserving of every single Academy Award it has gotten. It, Hannibal Lecter is the number one villain on AFI, the American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains. He is the number one villain on the, on that list. Um, the number one hero on the list, for, just for, you know, to compare the number one hero, Atticus Fitch. Um, number six hero is Clary Starling. So she's the only, the highest ranking woman on that female. list. Yeah. Female on that list. Um, and it was very, uh, it was very good. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear more about your thoughts and, and, because um, I, I didn't read your paper, but I know that you got an A plus. So <laughs> I'm glad that we're, I'm glad that we're going into it a little bit because there's uh there's definitely I I we had watched it because this was when like in a very very early we you know Joshua and I just started doing this a lot of the films that I had already watched were related to like queer issues yeah from a lens of queer Feminist, yeah. uh, feminism and and queer issues um, the what's what what's still kind of um, what's still kind of uh, uh, boggles me is that the a Buffalo Bill. Um, is uh, is the is the Captain Leland Stottlemyre on uh, Monk? <laughs> he plays he plays oh, um, it, it's a USA show where um, Tony Shalhoub plays a detective with OCD and he's highly observant. But his uh, boss, the captain, oh, it's Ted Levine. Ted Levine, oh, okay, yeah. Okay. So he is Ted Levine, and so like. Yeah. I'm a fan of Monk. I'm a fan of like you know that kind that show. So to see like Ted Levine's uh, tucked in penis and like you know lotions and baskets and <laughs> and overweight white women, yeah, it was yeah. very it was very disturbing to say the least. Right. But, uh, but I guess that's the point. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is kind of the point. Uh, I don't know. You know. Um, Shoot. <laughs> so this is what I mean. Because it's like, I don't know really what to talk about exactly. Um, so we'll just kind of start with like Jen. We'll t- st- talk a little bit about like Clarice, uh, uh, you know, in the uh, context of like our final girl conversation. Yes, yes, yes. Because, you know, she's sort of, um, she's sort of kind of that same like Laurie Strode, you know, she's mm-hmm. a strong female character who's not overtly like sexualized. You know, if you look throughout the film, like she's always covered up, her clothes are very dowdy, you know, she's yeah. got sort of like a matronly kind Shoulder of look pads. to her. Yes. That was a very big thing in the nineties. Same haircut um, as Laurie Strode for the most part. Kind of. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, it's kind sort of like, like an update, like an update on it. Yeah. An updated yeah. lob, a long yeah, bob. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, uh, we're you twenty know. minutes in for the first like, <laughs> right? First really uh, flaming thing. Um, yeah, so like she, you know, she has that kind of young professional. Um, bless her and her revolver. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Just, she's ready. She's trying. She's trying so hard. Bless her and her her revolver and that like little like you know that very kind of like pouch like the case with the the, the clasp yeah <laughs> like bless her right pull it when she's like tugs on it to get it out yeah. yeah i know i love it uh but yeah so you know she's sort of dowdy looking uh there's again this film is really devoid of like sexual um behavior you know um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the sense that like she has no love interest like there's no like male lead who's a love interest and i mean unless you count hannibal and we could talk about that um <laughs> especially with the second 
the 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 book Hannibal especially. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but anyways, but but just in the context of Silence of the Lambs, uh, you know, she flirts a little with that like weird entomologist guy, you know, who's pl- when they're playing like bug chess or whatever the hell it was, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but otherwise, like she's not very sexual. Uh, she's just, uh, you know, she's there to do her job. You know, she's she's not here for your for your bullshit for your yeah. for your white uh, white supremacist hetero patriarchy stuff. So, <laughs> but I I still don't think it passes the Bechdel test because she's not talking to other women. She's interacting mm-hmm. primarily with men the entire film. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, probably not. Uh, although like her interactions are not about like her like sexual relationships with yes. other men though. Yes. You know, so in that men. way, yeah. But yeah, I don't know, you know, does um I'd have to look, I'd have to uh, have to look at Cuz like Bechdel Bechdel test is is typically it is two female characters discussing something other than are they discussing something other than a man and other than yeah. like romance or whatever. Um, so while she is not inherently sexual in that in that way, she is also not really talking to any other females in the movie, like or at least any in in a significant way um, that drives plot. Well, yeah, I mean, she talks to Ardelia, Map, her mm-hmm. buddy, but then that uh, that relationship brings up a lot of like magical Negro stuff, like yeah, you yeah. know, as as a woman of color, like Ardelia doesn't serve really any other purpose except to help Clarice along her journey, yeah. you know, because it's Ardelia who discovers late in the movie the map that Hannibal wrote on. Like, doesn't this seem desperately random? And she's the one that helps Clarice solve that. Um, so again, they do discuss Hannibal Lecter. But it's about a case and about their job. So again, I'm not I'm not sure like the nuances of the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. If it's supposed to be that they're just discussing a man in general or her relationship to a man, or mm-hmm. is it about like interest or you know what I mean? Or they're so you know, I don't know. Um, I th- I think the rule of the test really is. <laughs> I think it's just there's really only one rule that's two female characters discussing something other than a man. Yes. So it would probably fail that because they are discussing yeah Lecter. Uh, but you know, she does have conversations with her about, I think about, um, Frederica Bimmel, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they do have other conversations. They have conversations about Catherine Martin's mother, the Senator, uh, you know, being smart, to, like keep saying the name over and over, you know, so there, there are, there are times when, when she does discuss, but really only with, um, Ardelia, there aren't really any other female characters in the movie. Um, Anyways, um, and it's a it, uh, to go back a little bit. It's a book, right? It's based on um, Thomas. Yeah, Thomas Harris's Thomas book. Harris's book, The Silence yeah. of the Lambs. Yeah, Thomas Harris, The Silence of the Lambs. It's the second in like the Hannibal Lecter series because the first one is Red Dragon. That's the first time that um, um, Hannibal Lecter shows up in the novel. But Silence of the Lambs was much more popular. Uh, I you know and I don't really know what accounts for the success of it in the in the sense that because Red Dragon was made into a movie called Manhunter um, in like the eighties and Brian Cox played Hannibal Lecter yes yes and then who was um who was um it was Will Graham then right yes yeah Will Graham was uh, who was the actor that played Will oh, Graham shit I cannot, I cannot it was it um uh P- Peterson Gil Peterson um who was uh. Grissom in uh, CSI was that him? I feel like, yeah, yep, you're right. William Peterson. Well, Bill yep. Peterson. William Peterson. Yeah, yep, it was him. That's he right. Plays, uh, Gil- because then Edward Norton played him. Uh, well, Will Graham. Yes. Yeah, Will Graham in the re- they made Red Dragon over again after like mm-hmm. the success of um, Silence of the Lambs and I think Hannibal even was out the vert the Hannibal movie um let me see when did Red Dragon come out Red Dragon came out after Hannibal yeah because it had Ray Fiennes in it Ed Norton uh yeah that was the one with Philip Seymour Hoffman as well right where he plays uh Freddie Lowndes yeah Mary Louise Parker yep 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 and that came out in 2002 and yeah and Hannibal uh, Hannibal came out in 2001. So yeah, they sort of made them <laughs> out of order. Yeah, weird. I didn't like, I didn't like, um, uh, you know, I think we're probably skipping ahead, but I didn't like Julianne Moore 
in Hannibal. You know, I thought that she was the best choice if, if Clarice wasn't going to do, or I mean, if um, Clarice, if Jodie Foster wasn't going to do it. Um, I did like her as a choice. I, I don't know. I like Hannibal. I just think that, you know, they're... The book was really interesting, and there was a lot of things they cut out that would have made it more. In, I think that would have been a better, better mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they kind of saved that because I know they bring in Mason Verger onto the television series and yes. his sister Margot, but she's not like a bodybuilder, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't get to that oh, season. Okay. okay. Um, again, skipping ahead, but I've only seen season one of uh, the television show Hannibal, okay. which I want to get to. Yeah, later. I didn't watch. Yeah, I didn't watch um, all of it either. I want to. I want to. I want to go back because it does have some really good stuff. Um, anyways, so just to kind of go back and cover like some real quick things um, about Clarice, at least the you know with gender, you know she's sort of you know she's objectified a lot by the men around her. Um, Oh, I like how the whole thing, you know, she sent in to interview Hannibal, but they're really, you know, using her for an ulterior motive to see if he has anything on James Gum, you know, Buffalo Bill. Um, she just doesn't know that she's being used that way until later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's interesting. Um, it, 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 at least, you know, one like analyzing the film, it, it's that Lecter, um, you know, a monster in the film, is one of the few male characters uh, who seems to respect Clarice. <laughs> Yes. You know, oddly enough. Um, and, you know, I mean, he uses her, of course, because he's a psychopath and, you know, for his own adva- advantages. But he's one of the few people that is honest with her. And, in fact, she, you know, like, tries to trick him more than he tries to, like, trick her as the ba- as the villain in the film. That's why I, I think it's kind of interesting that he's, like, listed as this, like, top villain. Because I kind of always thought of um, Hannibal as, like, an anti-hero. Oddly, I know that sounds probably weird. Um, it's, it's not odd for you, Joshua. <laughs> I know that's but, true. Not odd for me because um, it's like you know he's all like he's there to you know he wants to eat the rude, you know, and people who are disrespectful or monster like you know Mason Vergers like a, you know a horrible child you know predator, mm-hmm. um, you know the I mean well you know yes it's terrible the the orchestra like the violin player or whatever that he murders and serves up it's because he doesn't know how to properly play and he's ruining the the music that mm-hmm. Hannibal loves <laughs> so okay you know he's a bad guy but it's like I still I think it, like he's weird he's got this weird like in the movie they mention it like um, Clarice is like no he would consider it rude to like come after her yeah you know like he has the, his own sense of like right and wrong yeah it's a very it's a very <laughs> twisted sense of justice yeah. but that's like that's that's very co- I feel like that's a very common trope with a lot of really great villains is yeah. that it's this you take it you know again road to hell's paved with good intentions you start with someone who you know he's a doctor he's a surgeon he's a healer and then yeah. it gets subverted and twisted by psychosis. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, you know, and then again, it's a very twisted sense of uh, justice in that regard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> but like, I see where you're coming from. It's like, I, he, he, was, he, would come, he would consider it rude to come after me. I'm like, yeah, of course, of course he would because he is, you know. Yeah. And, and they, they make that very apparent because um, even like the scene where she's walking down where she's walking down the cells to get to Hannibal's, which is at the very end, you know, oh, the biggest bad is at the very end, but, like, here she is, uh, you know, braving, like, insults and fluids. Right, <laughs> and, exactly, yeah. And being flung uh, at her. Being flung at her, and then the biggest bad, the one that, you know, they have, uh, the one that she's there to see, is the one that treats her with most respect. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing too is like you know he he doesn't really he doesn't even really lie to her like he just with he's withholding yeah because I mean he has his own end yeah he has his yeah. own end but he's but he um, but he helps further her career yeah you know, further her career <laughs> and then um, not only that but like you know he builds there's that sense of trust it's like oh now I want you to trust me because I'm the only one I'm the only person that's telling you the truth right and yeah. uh, and helping her question like the the other authorities around her exactly yeah which I always love it's like when the villain actually is when the villain or the bad guy is like well actually I'm the only one that you can really trust because everyone else is lying to you right even though you know it's one of those like um it's a greater good thing. Like yeah. what is the greater good? The greater good is that, you know, they, they find James gum, but like, you know, here's, here's Hannibal Lecter telling you actually all this other stuff. Right. 
No, absolutely. You know, I just, I just think it's interesting, especially in the context of like the rest of, you know, I mean, if you, if you only sit and you watch, you know, Silence of the Lambs for what it is, then that's fine. I mean, it's a great film, you know, but the, you know, there's a whole like mythology around Hannibal Lecter and, you know, his, you know, childhood and, you know, his sister was like cannibalized by, you know, these men, you know, during like the war. And, you know, that's kind of like these foundations. He's just had like this very um, horrific like upbringing. So it's like, of course, again, you know, it's like what we're talking about Dahmer, talking about other like serial killers. People don't get to these places without, you know, a lot of horror. Yeah. Uh, happening to them. Anyways. So I don't know. I just think it's, I, I just have always liked Hannibal Lecter as a, uh, as a character who, um, you know, has a lot of, a lot of depth, a lot of, a lot of conversation. A lot of depth, a lot of conversation for sure. Yeah. And, you know, Anthony Hopkins, or Sir Anthony Hopkins, he's in like, what, eight minutes, something like that of the yeah. film, and he's the number one villain of all time. It's just, yeah, it says a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like 13 minutes total or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so uh, going back then to... Um, sort of Clarice and her role. Uh, you know, she spends so much of the film like trying to, um, you know, assert herself. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, like she's constantly being undermined by the men around her. Obviously, you know, this is um, explicitly, you know, through, you know, Migs throwing a jacket all over her to like kind of the subtle, like, or not, or not so subtle way that like, you know, Crawford in front of like all the men is like, oh, you know, this case is kind of you know, we should be careful about what we talk about in front of, you know, certain company, clearly meaning her, leaving her in this room full of these, you know, men who are all, you know, very um, dismissive of her. Yeah. Um, I like how, um, you know, throughout the whole film, there's this this trope uh, utilizing, you know, like point of view filming uh, yes. language to convey like the awareness of coveting and feeling eyes moving over what is desired. You know, the covetous nature of Buffalo Bill's crimes and, you know, what he wants, what is not his. Uh, Clarice's coveting, you know, of a better life, making it all the way to the FBI. Uh, Chilton's coveting of Clarice. Uh, you know, I, I love, like, that throughout, you know, the film, this idea of people wanting you know, things and that, and they use that. So in that whole scene of her standing with all these guys looking at her and she's looking at them and, you know, then they go into the body and she's like, all right, fellas, like she has to like, like she has to play nice. Like they can be dismissive of her, but she has to be like, you know, thank you all so much for your hard work. And you know, you've, you've done so such a great job up until this point, but you know, we're going to take care of her now. And why don't you all, you know, just go ahead and go on out. And you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like so much of the film, you know, is her like doing that kind of behavior. So I like, but I like, how confrontational is with her boss basically with Jack you know with like it matters you know it matters how you behave you know and you you know you have to consider that you know you have to consider that you set the tone um and and that it's very misogynist you know the way that you know you're like dismissing me but you're also telling me how great I am and how vital I am to this case but clearly yeah. you know I'm not if you all can do such a you know a much better job <laughs> yeah I watch Science of the Lambs um um, I watched Science of the Lambs, or at least parts of Science of the Lambs, for uh, for a film course in college. Oh, very and cool. um, uh, we talked a lot about um, that 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 um, the filmmaking technique using mm -hmm. the point of view camera. Yeah, and um, and then you know that relates into conversations of the gaze and yes. and um, her gaze, and then the male gaze and everything. So yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, point of view. Um, I think the opening, the opening credits where she's running, um, mm -hmm. and then the um, the scene where they're um, where the FBI is going to raid the house, and it looks as if they're at the same place, but they're actually at different yeah. places. Yeah. Yeah, perspective, and um, you know, kind of playing with like who's who. You know, because it puts you again like that Halloween trope where it puts you in Buffalo Bill's viewpoint a lot, like especially in the end in the basement, you know, where he's following her around and reaching out to touch her. And, you know, um, I don't, I just think that's very powerful, like filmmaking. Oh, yeah, Some absolutely. Of my hair is like in my face. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's very, it's a very, it's very disturbing, especially like any time that you're, as the audience, you are seeing anything from the perspective of, 
the of the killer of the killer yeah. the the bad guy like it's mm-hmm. just the it's just so powerful when you're when you are putting yourself in that position absolutely yeah so we can talk a little bit then um like the feminist uh complaints uh of the film cuz i i do i want to talk about i want to address both like um at least from what I understand is the feminist uh, complained about the film and then also like the queer, uh, the, you know, conversations. Um, So with feminists, you know, the main villain, you know, in this murders and skins women, you know, the film begins and ends with a close up of a newspaper that says bill skins fifth, you know, um, Obviously, this plays into like real world, you know, sens- you know, sensationalism and media, and you know, it's always going to focus on you know the the perpetrator and not the victim of crimes. Um, you know, there's this uh, it. You know, we talk about the it factor <laughs> with women, like oh, she has it. Well, in this film, like she is it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's kind of stripped of that. You yeah. know, like it, women are only this object to be coveted, to be. Um, used, however, you know, in this in this sense, to to be used as um, uh, clothing yeah. <laughs> for for our for our lead uh, villain, uh, you know, this like evisceration, skinning of women, uh, clearly infuriated many women and and especially like feminist thinkers uh, at the time. Um, and it's interesting here because I read this thing where it's like, you know, pornography may glorify the objectification of women's bodies, but horror venerates the utter destruction of them. Mm. So, you know, a lot of uh, people were like, what the, f-? like, why are we giving this film all this awards? And it's all about like, you know, literally, literally destroying bodies. Um, What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, because I, I would, I do want to talk about like the trans issue. Yeah, we'll talk um, about that in a moment. Okay, yeah. so because I think that that has, I think at least in the context of this film, um, it has a lot to do with that. But that was beautifully written with the uh, pornography, pornography versus um, destruction. I mean, uh, it could be said that pornography is also destructive. It's a different type of destruction depending on um, depending on intent and gaze, um, but. Um, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, um, I don't think that with this, I think it's easy, not easy, but I think like it's one of those, like, we're going to be outraged just to be outraged type sake. I can see where like, maybe at the time that that was just a huge issue, um, a huge issue for it. Mm-hmm. But I think that it complicates again, you know, I think it, it I think the complexity of the actual crime is rooted in the intention of the character and the wider kind of like, you know, the wider experience that um, Buffalo Bill is, you know, the reasons why he's doing it. Mm. Hmm. Like it, 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 it's like, you know, you're focusing on the fact that there's a, here is a man skinning women alive, treating them as, you know, treating them like, well, he doesn't even skin them alive. Oh no. I mean, what do you mean? It's like a skinning, uh, uh, skinning them, um, as if they are just like, you know, a beaver pelt or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But like the intention behind why he does that and, you know, is I, I think like that what we're ignoring here is the trans issue and the queer, the, the, how that is like, again, taking it up to 11, taking it up to the, uh, to level a hundred to, you know, make, to be right, you know, right. to be right. As, yeah, as Eve Ensler wrote, to be right with God, like to be, you know, to be. I, I, that's you know what I mean, like to mm. to take that. In. Yeah, you know, I don't know because I go back and forth because, like, you know, again, um, you know, the problematics of being like a feminist and uh, a fan of horror is is a hard balance. And I have a lot of friends who are feminists who, well, at least, would identify as feminists. Now, I don't know if like somebody who is really into feminist theory, you know, might be like, well, no, you cannot be a feminist if you like these kind of movies. You cannot be a feminist if you, you know, are capitalist or you can't, you know, because these things are, you know, are, um, they're, anti- they're the antithesis of, of, of feminism. Um, 
you know, so it's the ongoing conversation again of guilty pleasure like politics. System, like in, yeah. in the foundations. and Yeah, so I just found this interesting from um, Betty Friedan uh, in a 1992 interview with Playboy. She said, I thought it was absolutely outrageous that the Silence of the Lambs won four, her words, you know, um, four Oscars. Uh, I'm not saying that the movie shouldn't have been shown. I'm not denying the movie was an artistic triumph, but it was about the evisceration, the skinning alive, again, not alive. Um, I... I it, I know that seems like a weird distinction to make, but it, Buffalo Bills uh, is not about torturing women to death. I mean, obviously, you know, he keeps them in a well and is starving them. So, yeah, he is torturing them, but he shoots them before he skins them. I guess that's just my little horror thing. I just want to make the difference. It's all bad. Do not kidnap women, y'all listening. Yes. We're not Messed condoning that. Yeah. Don't be kidnapping women and thinking, oh, I'm not torturing them to death. You know, I'm going to shoot them first before I take their skin. You know, I'm humane. Uh, I just kind of, you know, because that is kind of part of his thing. Like, he's not interested in all that. He's not, he's not about, he's not trying to torture anyone to death. It's just he's using them for his own means, this, this trans um, conversation we'll have here in just a second. Anyways, but the skinning alive of women, this is what I find offensive, not the Playboy centerfold. Now, of course, some feminists would say, no, uh, the Playboy centerfold's a real fucking problem, too. You know, so it's like, again, we're kind of, it's... It's all of that. It's yeah. it's a very very nuanced issue. I just I feel like it has to be addressed in any conversation because we do live in a world where women are being tortured to death every day in a variety of ways. Um, you know we do you know so we have to be mindful of films that seem to glorify that. I don't I don't feel like Sons of Lambs is meaning to do that. Like I don't feel like they're glorifying. Um, you know, but it's sensational. You know, it's you yeah, know, it's definitely using you know a very uh, dramatic you yeah. know, event in order to to further a plot along. Uh, so, okay, so we'll jump in then. Would it have the same effect if he did it to a man? No. I don't know, actually, you know, because I've never seen that film. You know, I've never seen the obverse of this. You know, I, it'd be interesting to see a woman serial killer. There's a series of books by Chelsea Crispin called Heartsick, where she's very violent and very, like, uh, you know, she like slices these guys up and she's very, very messed up serial killer wise, but she's a female doing it to, to men that we don't have a lot of that in our c- culture, you know? So I, I, it'd be interesting to study it from that, uh, from that perspective. Like what if science of life, if all, if we flipped all the genders of everybody involved, mm-hmm. um, which again, we're going to get to Hannibal soon. So yeah, which they do in Hannibal, but in, in it to an interesting end. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then with the LGBTQ community, um, the criticism with that, it comes from the perception that Buffalo Bill is a transsexual. Uh, but if the viewer, so this is sort of my response to, to this criticism. So basically the criticism is like, oh, you know, he's transgender, so he's violent and he's a monster. And why does Hollywood always have to play us that way? However, um, if you're watching the movie or if you've read the book and you trust Lecter, I know, <laughs> trust Lecter. But if you trust like what he says in his role as a psychiatrist and of, as a psychiatrist to you know um, people like Buffalo Bill, is that he makes it very uh, clear several times that he is not actually a trans person. He does he's he does not want to be. He doesn't actually think he is a woman. You know, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, so silence is said to demean transgender people as violent, somehow subhuman, but you know, it makes several explicit statements to the contrary. Um, you know, Lecter insists Bill is not truly trans. Clarice states that trans people are not typically violent, but are rather passive. I don't know about that, you know, term either, but just, but, but, you know, she points out that they're not typically violent, like most people, you know. Are not typically are not violent. typically going out yeah. and murdering, you know. Uh, you know, I, I thought I, this was kind of interesting too. The uh, Ted Levine, who plays Bill, uh, saw him as an acutely homophobic heterosexual man. He wanted the power he perceives a woman possesses. So the villain, while actively destroying the female body, wants nothing more than to be a woman. Uh, his violence is uh, directed at their perceived uh, at uh, is not directed at their perceived inferiority, but rather their superiority. And so, because it, to him, anything that makes him not himself, he wants to be the, the farthest away from himself as possible. And so, mm-hmm. as this man that he is in the film, to become a woman would get him 
to that place. Yeah. So that's like what the, you know, the book and the film I think is actually trying to say, you know, it, it, it is not that he's an actual, it, it's because yeah. he's so confused about everything and so hates himself so much. That he wants to be the exact, the polar yes. opposite of what it is. <laughs> Which he is. for him would be a woman. Yeah. Um, Again, gender theory which, may question whether or not that's, you know. Which is further complicated by, so, you know, I'm going to go on this journey with you. I'm going to trust Lecter. So the idea that he's not truly trans because, you know, he, like, that's that's probably what causes a lot of the anguish in Bill as well, is that he, yeah. he like, I am a man. I, you know, I, I'm comfortable, or for the most part, I, um, I believe that I was I was born the the part the the sex that I am assigned at birth or you know the the the, 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 the he's a cisgendered man for sure like he believes in that but he has such a problem with the fact that he is a, like it is because that he knows in deep down that he is a cisgendered man that is the what complicates it further then that he wants to have this power and not be that like yeah. it is this that is this deep in this such deep self-hatred yeah. that he is going to like want to be a woman like is that what we're you're trying like is that am I close I think that's what it I think that that's what at least they're they're trying to say cuz I don't you know again but I don't know cuz it it's hard because you know in the 90 in 1991 we had a very different like culture. Like, even though obviously we still are having major issues around trans rights, clearly, you know, since we, you know, want to discuss where people should use the bathroom. And by the way, we're not interested in sex anyways, biological sex, like, you know, clearly in our culture, we are, we are only interested in gender. You are attracted to gender because none of us are walking around with windows and our crotches so that we can see what people possess. So we're only, we're only concerned about the perception of gender that we see, which is completely socially constructed. You know, so when you see somebody who you find attractive, you're attracted to them based on what, you know, you based perceive. Based on their gender performance. Yeah. yeah, and what you perceive as their gender performance. So you see a hot guy and you're like, oh, he's hot. Well, you don't really know if he's not in possession of a vagina. Yeah. You know, or she's in possession of a penis or what, or the various things that can happen in the middle of those. Exactly, which is, it's perfect. Like, when you, you get, like... You get relationships where people, um, you'll have like same sex relationships. Uh, um, uh, they come with me on this. The same sex relationships uh-huh. are like two women. Um, turns out that one of them is not a lesbian, is actually a, is actually transgendered, a transgendered man. Um, and, you know, it, at that point, like it is, it's about gender performance. So, yeah. like, y- you know, obviously the, other woman who is a cisgendered lesbian may or may not stay with transgendered man because their gender performance is not what they like. Am I getting, am I in a, I'm in a, I feel like I, I I feel feel like like I might, (laughs) I feel like I might offend someone and I really don't want to offend someone, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to like, I'm trying to really emphasize the idea of what it is like, you know, this is what they talk about in performance studies when you're performing yeah. parts of identity. Yeah. Um, like it is, and gender, it is the ultimate form of performance studies of performing that particular identity. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you, I, I think I get what you're saying. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to, I really, I'm trying not to offend anybody. No, I, so. yeah, I understand. And the thing is, I mean, we're talking about like, the strange like queer theory believe me like i sit in like this gender studies class and like it really blows people's mind when you tell them that when you're like gender is completely socially constructed there's no real rule we made it up that's really hard for people to understand i think or maybe it's not hard for people to understand but people maybe don't want to believe that like straight guys really don't want to be told that like it's certain straight guys obviously there's plenty of awesome straight guys who totally get what we're talking about and have no problem with you know a woman loving a woman no matter how or what, or how she started out. But there are obviously plenty that don't. And you tell a class full of, especially like 19, 20-year-old guys, like, hey, you actually don't know if that hot woman you saw has a penis or not. You just think she's hot based on your construct of gender. We're really off the track here, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, the po- my point is, is that we weren't having these kinds of conversations in the 90s. So if you want to look at, if you, if I would say yes, on its face, 
Signs of the Lambs does seem to send some very, because regardless of what you think uh, with the trans issue, Buffalo Bill was in like a relationship with another man, Benjamin Benjamin Raspail, which still makes them homosexual characters, maybe, quote unquote, who are violent and murdering people. And like, that was really bad, you know, or at least not bad, but uh, what do you want to say? That was, it's still such, yeah, problematic and still very prevalent when you have like Jeffrey Dahmer, it's like gay cannibal killer. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's. And it doesn't help, like, again, everything is about, it's all about representation. So it doesn't help that the, it doesn't help that you're going to give like five Oscars and best picture to a film where one of the, where the villain represented is this. Like, it's all about representation. That is why like Moonlight winning, you know, again, we're so far off base, but I, I. No. No, it's okay. I, listener, come with us. The, the where, where you have like Moonlight who wins Best mm-hmm. Picture and one of the, you know, great feats about the reason why, like one of the things that we should be celebrating about this this particular film winning Best Picture is that not only is it an, it is it literally an all black African American and British, uh, African British, British African, because Naomi Harris is British. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, type of cast, you have black characters who not once in an entire um, are dealing with some sort of racial struggle. They're right. like, they're not dealing in race at all. And you have um, the two gay characters, uh, spoiler alert for Moonlight, um, who neither of them die. Like neither yeah. of them are, are died or face any. And they're not, and, are they tortured by their sexuality? Not. I haven't seen it yet. Um, they are not like, it is not overt in the it is very subtle the tor- okay. the 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 anguish that so the movie's not about like oh do, do I, I want to be gay do I want to yeah know? no 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 it's yeah. not it's not about that it is definitely right. about like it is so it, it normalizes is, their experience it is about a lo- it's more about the love that the two the between them and okay. and the what has separated and brings them uh, brings okay. them back together so like so maybe not about their crises but the still the social exactly social, like it cultural. is it's all about the social culture but like yeah. when you're but you're, but what I'm getting at is that the reason why we need to be really celebrating and everyone should buy a copy of Moonlight is because it is a it is representation. Now we have we have reached a point now where the where this representation has been given the highest awards in the land. Yeah. Again, but you know, again, problematic because we give Moonlight the highest award in the land. We give Casey Affleck, the, right? Of we course. give Casey Affleck an Oscar. So yeah. it's. It, yeah. It, but it's all about problems of representation. So like right. Betty Friedan, her whole thing is like, we're still the fact that here is a movie where we, where we are showing this type of violence game of Thrones, where we are uh, highlighting and emphasizing like uh, the overt rape and sexual assault of women. Like that's, it's all about representations. I think. Um, yeah. No, I agree. Bring it back, Josh. Absolutely. No, no, <laughs> yeah. but you're right. Especially in the context again of the nineties, you know, obviously the gay nineties and there was lots of like, you know, great conversation happening, but you know, this was a book that was written in, let me see, nineteen eighty. I, well, regardless, I mean, we'd still had far, you know, long after like the gay rights liberation movement. Yeah, 1988. Um, so, whoops, uh, just throwing books anywhere. Uh. <laughs> you threw the book you, at me. But you're right, you know, yeah, representation is an issue, especially given the context of like, you know, it coming out in the 90s where like gay people, queer people, women were like still really like that, you know, sec- riding that wave of second wave feminism, heading towards like more intersectional politics. You know, the same with like queer people, like trying really hard to be like, no, you know, like we're not all we're not rapists we're not child molesters we're not murdering people and here you have like this very popular movie that at least in the laziest read of it if you just read it and accept it for what it is that is you know that is how you're gonna see it um i think it's interesting though i you know if you've seen silence of the lambs and but not read the book i recommend it because it's able to go in deeper like there's this whole thing where like uh, buffalo bill is really obsessed like with his mother who's dead or whatever and he like re-watches like it's it's just so hot he likes to go to bed several times a night mm-hmm. so he gets up and he'll like shower and he does his lotions and he puts on his robe and he gets his dog and they get into bed and they watch this video and then they get back out of bed and then they do this again and again and again and he keeps watching you know this woman on television and this is who he wants to become you know and but the book you know the film and the novel neither really ever fully like clarifies like the nature of Bill's psychosis, you know, like, like he's never really given like a diagnosis or anything, you know, so you kind of are just going by, but the novel has a passage 
that questions whether or not he's even homosexual, whether his behavior was an earnest, inept attempt at swish or a hateful mocking would be hard to say on short acquaintance. So it's like the book even questions whether or not he's gay. Like he's just think he's performing gender in a certain way. And he's thinking like he wants to be a woman. So he's doing the things that he thinks is necessary to be a woman, fall in love with a man, be beautiful, have soft skin, have long hair. He's had electrolysis done. He's done everything he possibly can to, to, to feminize himself. Uh, he just still can't get there. So, hey, let's murder some women. And, you know, obviously there are other things going on. That's not like the next leap. Like, I don't know any trans person who's like, oh, you know, I just really want to look like a woman. I guess I got to find a skin to wear. Yeah. You know, clearly, they're, they're, you know, it's a yeah. horror film. You which know, like, which also informs the fact that he had like a relationship with a man because that's yeah. what women do. Women, right, exactly. Women, quote unquote, have relationships with men, at least right. in his in his warped, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like that, you know, I mean, another thing, Jonathan Demi. Dem, I always never know how you say his name. Whatever, D-E-M-M-E, right? Right. He said that I came to realize that there's a tremendous absence of positive gay characters in movies. So, I mean, he recognizes that there are concerns, but, you know, he he was setting out to make a horror film. And again, based on a book, like a, a really well-adapted book, actually, like to give them credit. I mean, they took Thomas Harris' words and really made a great film. Did it win for adapted screenplay? Uh, I don't know. I don't know okay. what all it won. I know okay. that it won for best uh, picture. Uh, I don't pay any attention to that kind of stuff. Like I get, like I understand what you're saying when it comes to representation. That you know, I pay attention there. Like I get the analysis of it. Um, for me, it was about more like when it comes to Silence of the Lambs, it winning the Academy Award for best film is like great for me as a horror fan and as somebody who wants to. Um, uh, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, bolster like horror as more than just like cheap scare. Yeah. Like I, you know, that it's it more than just high camp scare. Yeah, exactly. Even it though has, yeah, it has um, cultural relevance mm-hmm. and, and it can, it can be lifted beyond that. It could be a commentary yeah. and it could be something very beautiful. And, and silence of the limes is a beautiful film. Uh, it's very well constructed. Yeah. It has a lot of conversations happening. There's a lot. It. it validates it. Yeah. It validates that, it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly it. So for me as a horror aficionado, seeing that film make get an Academy Award is like awesome. See, horror is, you know, not just for, you know, the drive in and, you know, to make out (laughs) or whatever. Exactly. Like, you know, it can, it can become more than that. So that's kind of what I pay attention to with, with like, you know, or like Moonlight with what you're saying. I I think it's very important, like for inclusionary, uh, you know, politics and for, um, like what you were saying with, Mm -hmm. uh, representation. Uh, but you know, regardless, um, in the end of it, it's, uh, it's so, so, so complex. <laughs> um, complex film sends lots of different messages regarding sexuality, the treatment of women and other minorities. Um, you know, Bill's tenuous connection to the trans community uh, creates a very confusing but enduring portrait of the self-loathing and violent queer, <laughs> uh, which has been portrayed in the media and reinforced by coverage of such real-life serial killers as Jeffrey Dahmer for, you know, on and on and on our whole, our lives. Um, I don't know. It's one of uh, pop culture's, like, finest films, but, you know, obviously a problematic. Uh, it is problematic. Um what do you want to say? Uh, product, problematic product of its yeah. time. <laughs> but you know, most, most. I mean, again, it's like w- it, the the thinking with the Academy Awards, especially when you're awarding the top prize for best f- uh, mm-hmm. for for motion picture, is is this like you know? Are we were what are we rewarding? Right. Are we rewarding the the actual best film that year? Are we rewarding? And why are we rewarding? Is it because it propels? It is the next level. It is going right. to propel film forward. It is, or is it just a a story beautifully told? Yeah. Um. I think in this particular this particular year. I mean, I'm not knowing what else was nominated yeah, that I have year. Yeah. No idea. Um. Yeah. It's both. It yeah. is a beautifully you know it's a beautifully told film. Uh. The use of uh, first person um, the first, film techniques first person yeah. film techniques is great, but it is also like it propels it forward plus it's a horror film like yeah. it's it was made with that in mind so yeah absolutely so it's still one of my favorites um so before we go off we wanted to talk a little bit about the hannibal tv series that they did because i know you were a fan of that we've talked about the cookbook in the past yes um 
I d- I've watched some of it because I, you know, I love like seeing Rebirth, uh, you know, on television. Uh, you know, I like I love that we have this opportunity these days. Uh, you know, so many things: The Exorcist, and um, obviously with um, uh, American Horror Story. You know, there's great horror television. So, oh, what, what in particular with Hannibal did you want to discuss? Well, I wanted to discuss. Um, I like the because uh, you, you said that the again not no really knowing read the books or any of the mythology or anything like that. Uh, it's interesting that um, they changed the genders of some of the characters. Oh yeah, Freddie. So Freddie Lowndes, Alana Bloom, as opposed to Alan Bloom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, well, I think that was probably also an effort to get more female roles on television. You know, that's been a kind of a push. Well, or just fe- good female roles in general. No, absolutely. I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But is Freddie Lowndes, is she set on fire? That I don't know. Okay. I, I Again, I only watched season one. Because like his demise in like, you know, Red Dragon and in, in, in the book is that is like, you know, um, the, the Red Dragon, the murderer in it, the, the tooth fairy, uh, as he's known, uh, wants to send a clear message to the press and, you know, ties him to a wheelchair and sets him on fire alive and sends him flying down. Bye girl. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if that happens to her. Uh, I have to, I really do need to go back and, and watch Hannibal. It was just something that, you know, I watch so much TV that it's, I mean, God, it has to be rotting my brain out. So I'm just like, I need to watch things as they come to Hulu, Netflix, Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I just, I need like a day. I will say that their, their episode with the mushrooms was one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen. And I've seen oh a lot. God. And I thought that was beautiful. And just what a fucking magnificent like trope. And see, that's what I mean. Like the science of things. I don't know if any of that is possible or yeah. real, but it had me believing it, and I thought it was beautifully executed. Yeah, um, that's pretty much all I wanted to go into. Um, yeah. Apparently, as like season two, three get into there, get into it. There's like, um, there's like a homosexual, like homoerotic tension between Hannibal and Will Graham, huh. um, which you know, Mads Mikkelsen and um, Hugh Dancy. Uh, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, for it. Yes, uh, absolutely for it. Yeah, um, I do. I think Mads is very. He's very beautiful. I do love Hugh Dancy as um, as Will Graham for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's a lot of depth there. Uh, I like the way that he narrates the you know the crime because that was mm-hmm. like a big part of the book. You know the original where he's like he talks like that. Like you know mm-hmm. he like really steps into the mind. I like that a lot. Um, yes, for sure. Like the, the way they, what, what I thought was just most interesting like when they're, when they're doing that and he has like that, the gold, like wash, like vroom, vroom, mm-hmm. vroom, like yeah. that was really inspired. Um, but Hugh Dancy, like he played, um, you know, it can be argued that Will Graham is spectrum. Like he's on, he's on the, the autism spectrum yeah. in, in some way, shape or form. And, uh, he played, um, he played in a romantic comedy. Hugh Dancy played uh, a character Adam, who has um, uh, functional Asperger syndrome. So, like he, it was, it was. I see a lot of that yeah. in his performance of um, in his performance of Will Graham. But you know, taken to the nth degree by being like the you know his the consultant teacher yeah. that he is. That's all I really want to talk about. Yeah. No, it's great. I love seeing it. Uh, I'm really happy that Gillian Anderson comes on to it because I freaking love her. Um, so yeah, I, I do need to watch more of it. Uh, I highly recommend reading all, all the books. Uh, Hannibal, that's the interesting thing. So, uh, real quick, um, in, in Hannibal, Clarice Starling and Hannibal like end up together as like a couple in the end. And that was something that I, Jody, really? mm-hmm, Jody Foster really, I think was like, nope. Like that seems ridiculous. And then they changed it anyways. Like that wasn't even the ending they went with in the, uh, in the in the film, but I think that was a big reason. Does she why. become like an accomplice, or I, you know, it's weird. It's like they just are like traveling the world together and stuff. It's like it's just that you'd have to read it to kind of get where it builds to. Um, I don't have an opinion either way on that. Okay, um, I just took it for what it because I like Thomas Harris and I wanted to read the book and you know it was cool. To, it was great to get a sequel, anyways. You know, because I you know I had read Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs. 
and then it was like, I mean, 88 to like whenever. I think he wrote that book in like 99 or something, 98. I mean, it, yeah, was, yeah, like, yeah. it was like a decade later. So it was just exciting to get a new piece. I didn't care what he did. I, I just wanted to read it. And I remember waiting and waiting at the library for it to finally like be available so that I could <laughs> get it. Like I think I'd put it on reserve like before it even was released so that I was like one of the first people to to get it, you know. Mm. And yeah, like I, I had like two weeks to read it before. No, I think back then it was like you only had like three or four days with a new book, mm-hmm. and, you know, before it became, you know, like a week or something. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. like, I was just everywhere, school, anywhere. I was like there and like reading Hannibal, like so excited to, to, to get it. How did you feel about Hannibal Rising? Uh, you know, it was cool because, you know, because I had read Hannibal and I had read like, you know, the, there's, de- there's, um, inferences throughout, like kind of what had happened to his, to his sister, Misha. Um, it was cool to finally get that whole story. Uh, I definitely think that it was it wasn't the best out of all the books. Silence of the Lambs still stands, I think, is the best one he wrote. Um, but you know, I I love Japan. I like the imagery of like his his aunt, you know, or whatever she is. Like the, I guess she's not really an aunt. It's like his uncle's wife, um, the lady. Oh shoot, her name's totally left me. Um, shoot, the woman from um, Memoirs of a Geisha plays her. Gong Li, no. What's her name? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The one who plays Hatsumomo. Um, oh, my God. Michelle? Michelle Young? No. Dang it. What is her name? This oh, I know what you're talking about. I oh, love her. Yeah, me too. Hold on. We're looking... Our intern's looking it up. Right. Our intern is looking it up. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, but I just... I, I like that... The relationship that they have in the book and, like, in the movies... I just like seeing, you know, I like the development. It's like, you know, look, how, look, this is where he started, and this is how we get to, you know, the Anthony Hopkins character that we know, Hannibal Rising. Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. No, I'm thinking of Gong Li. That's her. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was, um, yeah, here she is. Her. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about the... The one who teaches her the geisha ways. Oh, yeah. She actually would have been great in that role, too. Um, but, yeah, it's Gong Li who plays Hatsumomo, the, the villain. The Oh, yes, the yeah. the one who's like, you know, yeah. I don't like, like the one who doesn't like her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because she sees she's so beautiful and she's going to take my place. Uh, I love Memoirs of a Geisha. That's a whole other thing. Uh, the uh, book and all. We're going to watch that next, We right? will. Uh, all right. So this was really fun. I, you know, Silence of the Lambs, it's great. It's wonderful. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Um, I hope that you will watch it again uh, one day. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, again, like every, I think after every episode, we talk about what my favorite is. It's my favorite. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs is definitely, um, it's, it's definitely, now that we've gotten to it, I can say it's my favorite. Um, but you know, we have, we have a lot more coming up. Yeah. We have a few more. We have not much more, but we do still have a lot. Yeah. And this, in this season, we've only got, uh, three more films to watch. So next up is, I'm, I'm very excited for Scream. We're doing Scream. Oh, I can watch Scream now? 1996. Yes. I think you now have enough of a background that, that I think all the references in Scream we have talked about in one way or another. Okay. Because it's so meta. I did want, I just I just think if you're really gonna enjoy the film, you're gonna have to get all the jokes. Yes. And I'm gonna watch Scary Movie too. I've watched yeah, Scary Movie before may. I watched you Scream can. or any other horror. So. Yeah. But uh that's perfectly fine. But I think but 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 Scream has such a particular uh eye that I you know, and it's Wes Craven, and so it's like I really wanted you to get the jokes before you before you saw it. Awesome. It's, it's very good. So that'll be next up on Fright School. Thank you all for listening as always. You know, listen to us ramble and yammer. So follow, rate, subscribe, uh, listen, uh, pass it on, tell other people about us doing this nonsense. <laughs> yes, yes. We no, want to keep doing it. this nonsense. I, I love it. This is like the highlight of my week every week when we get together and do this. It's so fun. Oh. I, I think about it. I tell other people about it and... You know, this and the band. Yes. That's why I tell people about. Please. It's my highlight too, Joshua. I do love coming here. So, all right. We'll see you all next week. Bye. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 